you know, usually they're like maybe two or three pages a chapter. Mm. And there has been occasionally where I'll be like, oh wow, he's really trapped me in this one. It's a whole ten pages. Mm. And I was on page eight, five, eight. And I was like, I feel like I've been in here for a while. <laughs> How many is there to go? And I was like, oh, it finished it. it this chapter ends on 868. But I was like, what? But have I not been in here for a while? And then look back and I was like, and it started on 848. Though I was just like, what the oh, fuck wow. is this? <laughs> what is he do- why why is he playing this with me? Why 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 are some chapters literally like one single thing happens and then this particular chapter everything was going on and <laughs> I I have just for my own brain had to split it into two chapters. <laughs> That are incredibly thematically linked, but <laughs> I actually couldn't keep going. Yeah, I I I, I feel like that's um, <laughs> my writing style as well. So, <laughs> welcome to Pride and Barricades, a lamest podcast. My name is Nemo Martin. My pronouns are they them. I am the host of this podcast, and today I took part in an online musical theatre quiz and honestly like I I knew that I wasn't gonna do the best because um the people I were with like most of them were autistic and all of them with their their special interests are like this these exact categories um but I was very surprised that the category that I did the most well in was what show was for each set design which nobody else was able to do and I was like but this is the easiest part of it <laughs> you're autistic and you have special interests <laughs> <laughs> that's true it was also quite funny because like you know um it was a group of musical theater writers um people who are like writing musicals themselves when we- they were giving their answers I was like guys don't you know the most memorable part about every musical is the stage design <laughs> And like, I don't think that they were quite as tuned into my brand of humor. <laughs> they were like, uh, and I was like, it's a joke. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, that 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 was my evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I, I also got every single question that had to do with Lay So I did feel um, some way about that. <laughs> like you're allowed to have done your PhD. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Well, to be fair, I don't really concentrate on the musical, so I was glad that I knew facts mm-hmm. about the musical. I'm proud, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is Stevie, she they pronouns, uh, primary researcher. It snowed in England, yeah. which, as we all know, means the whole country closed <laughs> for the day. <laughs> so yep. I was just at home reading my current special interest back in Stranger Things. I I think it was maybe two episodes ago that we were talking about hair and I was like, haha, I'm going to cut my fringe off. Yeah. I have since cut my fringe off. And the second <laughs> I cut it off, it was like, oh, I look exactly like that one boy from Stranger you Things. You do. <laughs> I didn't do that to look like him. I have done that before to look like a character. But I actually did not intend that this time. But I've had everyone separately tell me that I look like Eddie Munson so this is Eddie Munson on this Lemmers podcast I guess who was played by Andras in the BBC show so that's Lemmers links I I remembered what you because I was surprised when Nemo told me that Mm. which like is bad because you know like 
I also I haven't seen what he looked like as Anjolas. Mm. If I did, it just didn't leave a lasting impression. I mean, he's quite milk toast in the show as well. Yeah, because I was you're always like I don't know picturing the musical where they were like we're gonna need a hot boy and like not that he's not a hot boy like the Stranger Things fan and fucking love him um Mm. but I kept seeing things from him like because I'm in the tag scrolling around uh of him saying like in interviews like he was really unsure if like oh have were they right to cast me in this role Mm. and I remembered Nemo saying that a lot of that there was like where people like oh he's not hot enough to be Anjolas or something mm. but I was like I wonder if it was like this that like has destroyed his self esteem oh, like, that was wow. my first and immediate thought that I was like I know that the Lameless fandom has kind of done some things to some people within its own fandom that I was like yeah. I wonder if it was being in Lameless that has made yeah. him like because he was like very beloved in the fandom his character mm-hmm. and that he seems surprised by that that I'm like oh <laughs> you know that you were like good and like you're an actor you're out here acting I don't know it was just mm-hmm. funny that the first thought was like I bet it was like this that destroyed you emotionally <laughs> I feel like it's the same kind of thing as like whenever I see comedian like British stand-up comedians who I only know from like panel shows mm-hmm. like Jack Whitehall suddenly being in like Hollywood films and I'm like no <laughs> you're only allowed on Channel 4's TV programming where it's just Nemo and Moms yes <laughs> yeah when I saw a picture of the actor I don't know people's names when I saw a picture of the actor without his Stranger Things wig on I was like that's mm. a different boy <laughs> like, that's not the same boy <laughs> Now that's a BBC actor. Now that was a BBC actor. Um, yeah. Joseph Quinn, I believe his name is. There we go. Well, if uh, Eddie Munson is me and also my blobo, Cosette's <laughs> blobo <laughs> oh my God. is here today. Because we left out where she had re- found that letter. Mm. And she loved it. And we have to be happy for her. She's put it in her bodice, like against her heart or something. I'm pretty sure that was the thing. Uh, I forgot. Sorry. I, part of this quiz earlier was like, name a song with a letter in it from a musical. And I was like, oh, that. I was like, oh, I remember the letter that Fontaine sent uh, with, with Jean Valjean be, to, to Nadier's being like, please, this is, he can take my daughter. But I forgot literally about the letter that we were talking about <laughs> last week. <laughs> You had carefully blotted Marius's soppiness from uh, your brain. Because there are more letters that he sends, and all of them are plot relevant, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, well, then that's uh, foreboding for me, because I didn't know there was more of these coming. Oh, sorry. Because So currently we're at one letter, and she's got it close <laughs> to her heart, and she loved it. And that's where we mm. left off. And you know we're getting in it, because the next chapter is called old folk are designed to be out at the right time oh my god <laughs> which i wish that i wish that for the events of each chapter that jean valjean would like i don't know have it in his dream the title of the chapter would just like come onto him and he wouldn't know what that's about <laughs> but he would see that about his own life like you're gonna be out at the right time and he would know oh i'm gonna be out at the exact wrong time <laughs> That's what, like, we would actually think a godly apparition is. 
but but for him he would think oh that means that like Javert or something would be watching oh. my house and so like it's actually the right time for me to be out yeah what is worse for Jean Valjean getting caught by Javert or at this point in his life like he's not had any of his like character growth or whatever that's going to come later mm-hmm. Cosette and this boy hanging out <laughs> yeah I mean that is the final dilemma <laughs> Everyone in the plot of this book, Stevie. Everyone vote now. <laughs> Make that a Tumblr poll. Twitter poll? Are people still on Twitter? A lot's happened. Yeah. Yeah. Since we last uh, unfortunately. Recorded. Okay, well, Twitter poll. I mean, this is genuinely Jean Valjean has a, a whole monologue about this. Yeah. Stevie. Well, just to make it worse for you, you are currently, while you're thinking on this. Nemo, mm-hmm. you were Jean Valjean. <laughs> to make so, what is worse? Also, you you know that you're going to be out at the right time today. Uh-huh. To make it that what because that's the like, you know, say he he's thinking, oh, I'm at the out at the right time. Does this mean mm. I'm being away from Javert? Mm. Is a worse thing for him? Is it Javert? Or is it something's going on with Cosette? I see. I see what the question is now. The question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm, is my worst nightmare something out there or something in my own home? <laughs> yeah, because to make matters worse for you on this question, uh, yeah. Mr. Jean Valjean, um, uh-huh. your daughter's taken some scissors to her bodice. Okay. <laughs> make it more revealing, a lower cut neckline, as the young <sighs> girls say, a little indecent. <laughs> oh my god. Hmm, uh, well... I I think that at this time I am still solid in my assumption that she was just seeing things in shadows mm-hmm. and she really likes arts and crafts mm-hmm. and like I've never been around teenage girls before apart from my older sister when I was a kid so I think that me Jean Valjean would still be more worried about a real tangible threat yeah. like the police knocking down my door than a threat that I probably haven't even read in novels because I haven't read any novels like uh, someone coming to woo my daughter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because, yeah, also in your defence, sir, (laughs) she has no plans to go out today, so she's not, like, making herself look uh, more attractive than it would be otherwise for parading around in so this is just for herself mm. so you're secure yeah. in that knowledge and you're you're leaving yeah. the house okay yeah yeah because she doesn't yeah. mean to go out and she's not expecting a visitor but <gasps> at dusk she does go out <laughs> to the garden and Toussaint is busy in the kitchen so Cosette goes back to the bench and she could see that rock and she mm. sits down and lays her soft white hand on the stone as if wanting to caress and thank the stone Oh. And then she gets that feeling that you get without even without even having to look when you just know that there's someone stood behind you. He's behind you. There he was, bareheaded, pale and wasted. <laughs> the slut. <laughs> when in the light, uh, and his eyes are kind of shadowed, and there's just something a bit dead about him. Um, 
he seemed like he's not quite a ghost yet, but he's no longer a man. And he's tossed his hat away into the bushes. And Cassette is on the verge of fainting, but she doesn't. And she doesn't cry out. She steps towards him instead. And he's just like stood just like deathly still. Mm -hmm. She retreats into a tree. And that's all that is propping her up. And finally she hears his voice. And I was like, oh my god, they (laughs) forgot they hadn't even spoken before. Yeah. So he's like, forgive me for being here. My heart is bursting. I can't go on living the way I was. I had to come. Have you read my letter? Do you recognize me at all? Don't be afraid of me. Oh my god. Um, Fucking stalker. Like, (laughs) genuine stalker. Literally. And he admits it later in. He's like, you know, it was a while ago, but you remember the day that you looked at me? And the day you walked past me? The 16th of June and the 2nd of July? (laughs) Oh god, because that... It'll be a year ago now. No! Um, I haven't seen you for such a long time. I asked the woman who hires out chairs and she said she hasn't seen you anymore. And (laughs) you used to live in the Rue de l'Ouest on the third floor at the front of the building. See, I know, I followed you. What else could I do? And then you disappeared. <laughs> I thought I saw you once, but it was a different girl in a similar hat. I ran after you. Um, don't be afraid. No one sees me. I have come here at night. I just come to look in through your window. And I, I walk really softly so you won't hear me. And I, just, I don't want you to be frightened. And, you know, the other evening I was behind you. But when you turn around, I fled. Oh once God. I heard you singing, I was happy. Do you mind if I hear you singing through the shutters? No, you don't mind, do you? You see, you're my angel. He, he's he's um he's actually doing an Edward to her Bella. <laughs> first thought, first thought, like I've been watching you sleep. <laughs> if, Effervescent. If only you knew, I adore you. Forgive me. I'm talking to you. I don't know what I'm saying. Perhaps I'm annoying you. Am I annoying you? <laughs> We were like, you know what, Hugo? That's a well-written boy having a fucking breakdown. Realistic. Yeah, yeah. that's true. And Cosette's like, oh, dear mother, and sinks down as if she was dying. But I mean, also a good rep. Like, if if we're still on the line that uh, Marius is based on uh, Leopoldine's real husband, mm. that this is Hugo being like, and that's what he sounded like—the snotty <laughs> little brat before he died with my daughter. <sighs> well, he catches her as she's kind of crumpled through the gate. I think he's just behind her, but. The gate was behind, the like wall was behind her before. Mm-hmm. Like before he just put his hand through the bars to put his letter down. But he's caught her, so I'm not actually certain. But imagine walking by and seeing that. Um, <laughs> the boy leaning through the gate, propping up a gal. His head is like it's full of <laughs> thick smoke, and you're like, I got that impression. Yep. Um, he, while he's like holding on to her, he's like, he feels like he's performing some religious rite, but also that he's committing some act of desecration. But uh, he's got no like lustful desires while he's holding uh, her against his chest. He's overwhelmed sure. with love. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But once again, Cosette couldn't be more into it, into his whole deal. She take- well, because she's never had <laughs> conversation with any other human man apart from Jean Valjean yeah. before. 
she takes his hand and lays it over her heart and that's why she's been keeping his letter so he can feel that it's there so he's like you love me then she's like hush my beloved you know i do oh my god and they just embrace each other and they're both blushing okay so he must have actually climbed into her garden because he sits next to her on the bench and for a while they're just kind of wordless just like sat next to each other but they do start kissing one kiss was all but it is it's hugo it's very poetic how was it their Mm. lips met how is it that birds sing, that snow melts, that the rose unfolds its petals, that May comes into bloom, that dawn brightens behind the dark trees of the quivering crest of the hills? One kiss was all. <laughs> the, the, the line about the snow melting, the first thought in my head uh, uh, for this poetic moment of Hugo being like, oh yes, my young lovers, was the song in Frozen that Olaf sings about oh, the... <laughs> Doing whatever a snowman does in summer. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that's got what's going to attach itself to my brain now whenever I think about Cosette and Marius kissing. It's um, it's a safety measure my brain yeah. is doing. <laughs> that's it's pulling the emergency brake on that. <laughs> They're both just like little fancy handbag dogs. Because <laughs> they're both like sat next to each other, just trembling, oh <laughs> looking at God. each other on the bench, trembling some more. I can also imagine that you know that post that goes around on Tumblr quite a lot, which is like, um, it's the one year anniversary of the time that I uh kissed what I thought was a handsome twink oh in a bar God, yes. who thought that I was a butch lesbian. <laughs> yeah, accepted. That makes it, again, fail-safe for my brain to be like, okay, Olaf didn't work. Quick, imagine it queer. Doesn't make them any less cringe. No, no. But they have to, like, they've taken hold of each other's hands. And, you know, when you're like, you just, this is what it is. This is like, this is what Les Mis is. So it was at this point that I was like, I just have to accept them. Because otherwise mm. it's going to be real hard. So I'm just going to mm. have to find it sweet. So. She doesn't, she doesn't even ask him or wonder how he found his way to this garden. She's like, of course he would. And they just like start talking a lot. Were they talking about their raptures, their ecstasies, their fantasies, their yearnings, how they adored each other from afar, how they longed for each other, um, mm. confiding to each other the greatest secrets and mysteries about themselves. Mm. They're just like, all of it, like childhood dreams and... All of all of the stuff. <laughs> They're basically swapping souls, is what Hugo is saying. Uh-huh. That you're like, okay, <laughs> it's, it's very Stevie uh, falling in love, cringe behavior. That you're like, <laughs> I saw this person one time, and I'm gonna be in love with them <laughs> and talk to them at five a.m. <laughs> Maybe that's why I was like, oh no, <laughs> they've become relatable. <laughs> I mean, also, like, um, it, it just popped into my head. I was just reminded that um, my housemate, Rumsey, he, he doesn't, he's never watched anything lame is, and, um, but he has to deal with me talking a, uh, about it to him. And he just did his, like, Myers-Briggs test thing. And, you know, it does the, like, what characters you are relate or like close to. He got Cosette as his <laughs> thing. And he was like, oh, um, why do you think that I would have gone Cosette? And I was like, to be honest, I'm not really sure. But then as I was talking through it, I was like, well, like, so she's kind of like 
hopeful and falls in love with the world and like um is is intelligent in a certain way um but also believes in people and like trusts people quite a lot and also i didn't want to be like <laughs> she's really fucking annoying because <laughs> my housewife ramsey is not um you know but it was trying to like give a positive spin on Cosette. um and then he was like oh okay so she's like the physical representation of france and i was like how did you get there <laughs> From all the things I just said. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess Hugo did it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, okay, I guess the message is transferred then. <laughs> oh, Rimsy's the physical manifestation of friends. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I think when you are doing a good faith reading of Cosette yeah. and Marius's relationship, as I was trying to do in order to sell her to my <laughs> housemaid, then you start to understand why hugo was writing them to fall in love at first yeah. sight with each other yeah but hey uh <laughs> i had marius being relatable now you get to have Cosette being relatable yeah i feel like oh god i feel like i would have been more marius though we weren't as <laughs> this creepy though so maybe let me look, i can give myself <laughs> more credit than this <laughs> You and I on the Marius relatable train. Oh no, between us are the two aspects of Marius. And then we fusion her and combine into this Marius. And everything that's left over of us that isn't Marius is the better person that we wish we could be. But we're the two parts stuck as Marius. Well, they have their whole chat and in a very internet age relatable way. After outpouring all of you, we've been talking until 5am, here's my hopes and dreams and things I've never told anyone, and my childhood mm. whatevers. What's your name? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very relatable. There are people that whose names I still don't know and I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> yeah, you're like, wow, it's been 10 years, but I can't ask. But they actually do ask and tell each other even. Mm. My name is Marius and yours, my name's Gazette. <laughs> Great, that was not a rendition from the musical, but I could believe it. Yeah, it wasn't at all. Uh, I'm sure there is a tune to which they say their names to each other, but I don't know her. And then Hugo is like, you know what? You've been through a lot with Marius and Cosette right now, so let's pivot. <laughs> Back into Gavroche, who does keep getting injected. It's like, he's like, Hugo's like, here's all this love stuff. And even he is like, I need to take a break and do some Gavroche. <laughs> okay, now I can get back to it, but I'm going to take another break and get back to Gavroche. Mm -hmm. So, book six, Young Gavroche. We kind of get, we're getting more Tenardier backstory. He does like to kind of like really slowly feed it to us. Mm. So, since 1823, when the Tenardiers still had the tavern in Montfermeil, it was still, it was like going under. It wasn't as bad as it was going to get, but it was already going under. The Tenardiers actually had two more children, both male. So they got had five kids and that was a lot. Mm. That's a lot now. You can't afford five kids now, let alone 1823. Yeah. But while the two youngest boys were still very small. Mm. A peculiar stroke of luck comes upon the Tenardier woman who was able to disencumber herself of them. Mm. Disencumbered is the right word. There was only a fraction of natural feeling in that woman. 
that I think, and I, I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure that he's, yeah, he said this before with Gavroche that Madame Thenardier is only capable of being a mother to her daughters, mm. and her hatred of the human race began with her sons. Yeah, so she's just always been cruel to her boys. Her heart is a bleak stone wall. She detested the eldest. Why? Because, full stop. Mm. <laughs> the most terrible of motives. Because. Mm. So, let us explain, says Hugo, how she managed to unburden herself with these children. That Menon woman mentioned a few pages earlier. And I was like, <laughs> which of the goddamn women and how many do you count as a few? Because then I did remember who she was. Mm. But I was like, I think it's a few more than a few pages. Yeah. So Menon is the woman who got Marius's granddad, Guillemont, mm. to support two children when, if we remember way back, that it was like someone had been like, oh, you've, you fathered two of my kids. Maybe she used to be one of his maids or something. And he was mm -hmm. so flattered to imagine that in his ancient, <laughs> decrepit state, that that's possible. That he's like, yeah, I'll pay child support. I love this uh -huh. street cred. <laughs> So that yeah, that was like like a year in real world time ago. Was it? Oh god, I don't know. It feels like it's been yeah. It, it it's been a, quite a, a fast moving year, so it could have been. Um, so that's who Menon is. She had two children herself mm. that she was fond of. Yeah, that well, that he's like. These children were precious to the mother because they represented 80 francs a month. So, you're, so I was almost like, oh, good mom. And then it was like, no. Mm. So she lost those children to a, I want to say, cholera. Because mm. he mentions, he's like, remember that great epidemic? So there had been an epidemic going through Paris. Mm. And... Oh, he does that thing where he's like, I've learned something about science, but he's not <laughs> served it to me in a way that like makes full sense. I think he's saying that today it would have been very, today by Hugo's standards, would have been treatable, but at the time wasn't. Mm. If only they'd use a tincture of iodine. Mm. But okay, all this to say, say a dear. <laughs> She lost her two children to it, mm. and they owe how she was getting 80 francs a month from Guillemot. Mm. So she's like, oh shit, my income. Mm -mm. But in that shady, free masonry of villainy to which she belonged, everything is common knowledge, no one betrays a secret, and everybody helps each other out. She needs mm. two children. The Tenardiers just happen to have two children the same... Mm gender and age and they don't want their ones so mm. they're like perfect let's make an arrangement the little Tenardiers become little Menons uh, so because Tenardier is always like that he's like oh yeah you can loan them out for 10 francs a month Yeah. so I don't want these kids but if they're worth something to somebody else then I will make money out of them yes of course uh, so she, she pays that because she's getting 80 francs a month, so mm. a decent deal, I guess. Twelve percent. Yeah, not bad. Cut. 
And Guillermoan had no idea that the original children had died, so like the switch is just like made. Mm-mm. And he comes to visit the children every six months and notices nothing. He's like, they look so much like you. <laughs> and me. So handsome. And, yes. <laughs> they got my wit and charm. <laughs> and my royalists. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think I'd ever like actually sat and thought about the fact that Gilliman's like alleged bastard children uh, were brought up in the same house as Cosette, that Marius and Cosette's like siblings? Question mark like associated children, Mm. (laughs) children associated to them. A lot of Um, inroads and in laws and yeah, yeah. I guess all roads lead back to the (laughs) Tenadiers. Yeah, that's true. Is that that's the book? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Les Rab or All Roads Lead Back to Tenardiers. Well, that could be our play. Yeah, we'll add it to the list of them. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that he would, like, actually go and... He kind of was, like, involved in those kids' lives. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the could have been. <laughs> Why weren't they his favourite <laughs> instead of yeah. Oh, my God, that would have been very funny. I feel like that would have taken him out of being, like, only child mm. vibes. Although they're so much younger than him, so it would have been actually weirder vibes for him. And I would have liked to see that, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the kind of... I, I can imagine the, the, the teenage film, which is him being a, like, oh, I hate my... Um, over the garden wall style yeah. where he's like the older teen who has to suddenly take care of two younger boys who he knows isn't related to them and is like i hate you so much you're taking in all of my time but then his character journey is to love and protect them oh well there's there's another one for us to work on <laughs> um but yeah like coming to see them it's only every six months but like mm. That's more than some kids get now. And this is like a yeah. rich old fart and he's like yeah. willing to do this charade. It's more than Cosette got. That's true. There we go. From her real father. <laughs> it's at this time that Thenardier takes up the Jondrette alias and the two daughters and Gavroche hardly had any time to register that they had two little brothers so it doesn't make a big difference to them. Because mm. at a certain level of wretchedness the kind of spectral indifference takes over and you see human beings as ghostly presences. Mm. Uh, but on the day that they were handing the two kids over to Menon, Madame Tenardier has like a moment of what, or just it appears to be a moment of f- feeling a single scruple, and is like, <laughs> "Is it abandoning your own children? Is that like, are we good?" Mm. And Tenardier is like, uh, "Yeah." She's like, "Oh, you know, like, what if the police come, like?" Is this allowed? He's like, everything's allowed. Nobody will see anything wrong with it. In any case, with children who haven't got a suit, it is in nobody's interest to investigate. Yeah, I mean, true. Yeah, some things don't change. Uh, And Menon was kind of a bell of the criminal world. Hmm. Looks after her appearance a lot. Hmm. Shares lodgings with another... Frenchified Englishwoman who was a clever thief. Mm. <laughs> mm, ladies! <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mamselle Miss is her name. <laughs> and the little boys 
are kind of are actually better off for this, at least at yeah. this point in their lives. Mm. Because with 80 francs, that being their worth, she does like clothe them and feed them and treats them almost like little gentlemen. Mm. Definitely better off with their bogus mother within that than with their real one. Mm. And La Mignon acted the fine lady and spoke properly in front of them and everything. And then, so, I was kind of confused what happened here. So, this goes on for several years. And Tenardier has high hopes for the future. There came a day when he said to Mignon, as she handed over her ten francs, their father will have to provide for their education. Suddenly, these mm. two poor children, who had been fairly protected even then, even in their misfortune, were catapulted into life and forced to fend for themselves. Hmm. I think I thought that those two paragraphs were attached, but reading them out loud, I think maybe they're not. But No, but, I don't think that they are. <laughs> but, but him being like, their father will have to provide for their education, that I think I initially was like, how is that the bad thing? Is it, does that... I think I thought all kinds of things that are not true. <laughs> mm -mm. Because the actual bad thing that happens, instead of muddying the waters of what I thought was going to go on and it didn't go on, <laughs> there's a mass arrest of criminals, like the one that we saw happen in the Jondrette Den with mm. Javert and when Jean Valjean <laughs> branded himself. The Thenardier's downfall leads to Menon's downfall, I think by mm. association. Mm -mm. so one day shortly after Magnon had handed Eponine the note about Rue Plumet mm. the police had made a raid on their house she was seized Mademoiselle Miss was seized like everyone in the household who was a suspect mm. or was made a suspect but the two little boys were just playing in the garden while this was going on, so they had no idea. And they try and come home, and it's empty. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And they're only, like, five and seven. Mm. So they're like, uh? And a cobbler from the workshop opposite comes and gives them a note from their mother that said... Uh, they just had an address that was like, Monsieur Barge, rent collector on this street. You don't live here anymore. <laughs> Mm. The man in the workshop told them, go there, it's very nearby. Um, use this note to ask the way. But it's so cold and their fingers are so numb that the wind just blows a note out of the oldest boy's hand. It sure does. And they're like, okay, and they just have to aimlessly walk the streets. <laughs> Instead of going back to that man and being like, can you just take us there? Oh no, oh, other could have been... Yeah, so many could have been. Now we come to Victor Hugo's, I want to say, longest chapter. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I've had a lot of complaints around here over the years. <laughs> but next time I complain about a long chapter, somebody like remember to ask me how long it is, because I want to know if this is the longest one, because it okay. certainly felt it. I won't remember, but I'll try. <laughs> That's all anyone in here in this podcast could do. Try to remember a single thought. <laughs> there isn't a meme. <laughs> or the obscure name of some actor. <laughs> actor or some boy that we met in this book four years ago. <laughs> that lives weren't free, but... <laughs> Alfred. Um, so we're only doing 12 pages of this chapter today. Uh -huh. 
in which little Gavroche takes advantage of the great Napoleon. Mm-hmm. So it's spring in Paris, and the weather's really shit. <laughs> it's quite relatable weather right now. Mm. There's a lot of wind. It's colder than a winter's door that's been left ajar. It's as cold mm. as the door of a tomb. Mm. And also there's a blast of cholera. <laughs> that's Yay! why I thought there was cholera earlier. Um, like a combo. <laughs> it's from a meteorological viewpoint, these cold winds have the peculiarity of not precluding considerable electric tension. Christ alive. <laughs> <laughs> on a day where my brain is barely working, he's really throwing sentences like that at me to have to struggle to say. Mm. There's frequent storms. It's basically all terrible weather for little boys to be wandering around in. <gasps> Younger Rush is still very cheerful. Like he's shivering in his rags, but he's just, you know, you're just so used to this that. What else are you going to feel but normal about it all, I guess? Mm. He's stood in front of a wig maker's shop, dressed in a woman's woolen shawl that he's kind of made a muffler into for himself. Mm. And he's admiring a revolving wax bride in the window. Mm. But, oh no, that's what he seems to be doing, but he was actually looking at this big cake of soap in the window. He's very good at this, at basically running in and like stealing a little bit of it mm. to then sell to a different hairdresser in the city outskirts so that's mm. sort of how he's making him money which he calls shaving barbers ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, got me again with a pun <laughs> well he's doing this he's kind of muttering to himself like tuesday it wasn't tuesday was it tuesday maybe it was tuesday yeah it was tuesday um he goes like, what was this monologue about? We'll never know. Okay. M- maybe it's about when he la- did he last eat. And if it is, that was three days ago now. Oh, um, no. Uh, and in the shop, there's a barber who's shaving someone, but has like, got a bit of an eye on this children cheeky gammon. That mm. he's like, mm, <laughs> you're suspicious. Mm. While Gavroche is considering the shop window, two children of different heights, quite neatly dressed, even though they're younger than him, looking about seven and five, timidly go into the shop. And it, to him, it looks like they're asking for something, like maybe charity or something like that. Mm. But they're both speaking at once and sobbing, so you can't quite tell but the barber looks pissed hmm. and throws them out and is like, you're letting in the cold for no good reason. So, of course, the two children set off in tears again. Uh, and then it begins to rain. <laughs> <laughs> and Gavroche runs after them and is like, what is the matter with you, Brett? And they're like, we've got nowhere to sleep. And Gavroche is like, oh, is that all? Mm. As if that's a problem or anything to cry about. And you're like, oh, it's, he's too used to this life. <laughs> Yeah. There's like only tragedy happening in this lameis. <laughs> <laughs> but um oh Gavroche, he's he is just like, okay, come along with me, Bratlings. Like just immediately is like, Well, you're mine now. Mm. Um they follow him like they would have followed an archbishop and they even mm. stop crying. And he's like, That barber's a cold fish with no heart. He's an Englisher. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> yeah, it's true. That is. Zing. But yeah, he's just like always in these high spirits, Gavrash. He's just like boisterous with laughter. Humor as a trauma response. Yeah. <laughs> Getting through this cold day. <laughs> just picks up these kids. <laughs> Oh, he's still going on about the barber that he's like, oh no, wrong animal. He's not a fish, he's a snake. And thinking about that barber and like basically how he just like kicked these kids out makes him feel more aggressive. So when they pass a woman in the street, he's like kind of heckles her. Okay. Splattered the polished boots of her passers by. And they're like, you pest? And he's like, uh, monsieur has a complaint? And the man's like, yeah, about you. And Gavroche's like, the office is closed. I'm not taking any more complaints. Hell yeah. <laughs> he's just going around like angry, sassy, making himself everyone's problem on the street. Mm-hmm. As he should. And as they continue down the street, he notices another beggar child <sighs> of 13 or 14, blue with cold, so scantily clad that her bare knees showed. For which she's like getting too old to be showing to be showing that much skin. Growing mm. up catches you out that way. Just when nakedness becomes indecent, your skirt becomes short. They're just like, ah! Hugo, you're part of the problem. <laughs> and Gavroche is like, oh, poor girl, she's not even got breeches. Uh, and gives her his little woolen shawl mm. over her <laughs> shoulders. And the girl is just kind of astonished, but is silent. At a certain level of hardship, the pauper no longer laments the ill that befalls him and no longer gives thanks for the good. Mm. <laughs> and as soon as Gavroche is like, oh, brr, it's chilly, the downpour gets nastier. <laughs> you go! You, you created this world! <laughs> You're the cruel god. <laughs> Gavrosh was like, what's the meaning of this then? It's raining again. Lord, if it goes on like this, I'm cancelling my subscription. (laughs) (laughs) But you're like, I know he like kind of was comic relief in the musical, but like Mm. he was right there. Yeah. The Tenardiers didn't need to be as made the comic relief. They did not. When he's right there, but I guess he dies. (laughs) And there's nothing funny about that. (laughs) (sighs) we we can try (laughs) and all roads lead to Tenardier (laughs) yeah well because then I don't know maybe that sorts the tone out a bit lame as the musical Mm. like someone's barely trying to make it like haha see it's all fine like things suck but I'm still doing my best and then that character's dead and the humor's gone because you're like oh yes the reality of everyone is dying and so did a child yeah, but that would rely on the audience, the main audience base of the original not being Tories. That's true. Ugh, could have had what Mulan, which was even Disney managed it. <laughs> when they were like, suddenly we're, the reality of death is here and the songs are over. Yeah, it's uh, a girl worth fighting for. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Gavrash. <laughs> Out here making flips. Uh, in the cold. But he's like, you know, never mind about this, though. Like, at least looks back at the girls, like, well, at least one of us is covered. Mm. Um, and then looks back at the clouds and is like, so there. And you're like, ah. <laughs> Gavrash would fight God. Gavrash would fight God and win. And I think. win. The two children are still like trotting along close on his heels. 
and they pass one of those heavy lattice grills that indicate a baker's shop. Bread like gold is put behind iron bars. Mm. He's like, oh, youngins, what have you eaten? And they're like, oh, monsieur, we haven't had anything since this morning. But he's like, immediately like, okay, we're going to go in and I'm going to buy you a treat. Even though we know for him, not eating for like three days, yeah. it's just like normal. But that like, he's just, a, he like, there's been times where you're like, you're a little scamp. You can be a little shit sometimes, good rush. But mm. like, he's a good boy. He's he like, oh, boy. if for them that is a long time, like, I'll feed you then. Mm. <laughs> Baby. Um, yeah, he's like, oh, you know, you don't have any parents. And they're like, oh, well, we have, but we don't know where they are. And Gavrosh is like, yeah, sometimes that's just as well. Yeah. <laughs> Lost their parents. Don't know what we've done with them. And he's like, well, you know, it's silly missing old folks like that. We'll just get some food. For him, like, what's more natural than to be homeless? God damn it, Hugo. So he takes them into the bakery and from his pocket pulls out a sou. And the children, the two smaller children, they're all children here, are like, oh, wow. He's got such a little tiny child swagger. Mm. He's just like, puts it on the counter, like, five centimes worth of bread, my man. Mm. <laughs> In three pieces, my man. There's three of us. Mm. And the baker initially picks up this loaf of black bread and then stuck his finger right up his nose with an inhalation as imperious as if he had a pinch of Frederick the Great snuff. <gasps> oh my god, it's hot boy! Frederick! It's been a It's Wait, ha, has there been an outright fr- Frederick in this? We've had a lot of Voltaire, but mm. is this the first canonical Frederick? Surely not. Surely. <laughs> Surely can't all have come just from us. <laughs> <laughs> it can't only be us bringing him up. Hugo feel- must have. <laughs> I feel like surely Hugo brought him up when he wasn't on our radar. Maybe. Uh, but we, we haven't. Full text. <laughs> come on, Friedrich. Yeah, we've not had a. I was going to say we've not had a Voltaire in a while, but we just haven't picked up the book in a while. <laughs> Uh, Frederick the Second, Frederick Snuff. This is the first. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> wow. <sighs> the first Frederick the Great <laughs> that wasn't us. Yeah. And it's a man sticking his finger up his nose. So what's that got to say? I'm I'm genuinely quite. Wow, we sure did make that obsession. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was Hugo's fault for bringing up Voltaire. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And then we just attached to Hugo's Blorbo, Voltaire's Blorbo, (laughs) Frederick. The Blorbo of my Blorbo. Yeah, we sure did that. (laughs) Wow, I can't believe that's the first actual one. (laughs) We're 850 pages in. I I could have written an essay about how much Frederick the Great affects Lehmitz. (laughs) And he's referenced once. Oh, is he not referenced later? No. (laughs) Oh my god. Gagged. (laughs) Wow, we really did that. Yeah. Oh my god. 
one. But how many times does Voltaire come up? Um, uh, forty. Oh, that's not even. Is that a lot? I don't know. Like, it's so because you're like forty is a lot of time to bring up someone unrelated. Yeah. But then you're like, oh, there's like a thousand pages here. <laughs> I mean, there's also like when he's mentioned, he's mentioned a couple of times. A chapter. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's maybe like, okay, take it this way. Let's say there's like 30 chapters where he's mentioned. That's quite a lot. Mm hmm. Okay. Come fair is mentioned 88 times. Okay, then so like half the times of confer. Half the, that yeah, for a, for a guy who's not a character. <laughs> Freely is mentioned 26 times. Okay. <laughs> so he goes fault and but we did by associate we did it like okay, it's both our faults. And Azama who is ten, uh, Eponine's s- sister is 22 times. Okay, so the Voltaire, that's on Hugo. Yeah. Friedrich, Hugo started us <laughs> on this journey, but... Oh, God, we're Hugo who won't stop bringing up a character unrelated. <laughs> God damn it. I can't believe this is the only way he comes up. Hilarious. Should we stop? <laughs> <laughs> We've reached the goal. The goal is to get to the Friedrich the Great reference, right? <laughs> so... Hugo, either if Hugo wanted to make him relevant, he could. So Hugo doesn't like him? Question mark. Question mark. Based well, on this only. The lover of my enemy <laughs> is. Yeah. Almost purposefully not mentioned, I would say. Just like a man sticking his finger up his nose. <laughs> the way Frederick the Great would stick his finger up his nose, I guess. Hmm. Wow, wow. <laughs> I'm going to have to mull that all over. Uh, <laughs> implications. Uh, 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 submit to, to present, do a presentation at the next um, Barricades Limits oh, convention right. just about Friedrich and be like, it's all based on this one reference. One line. <laughs> just a compilation of every time we've brought him up. Yeah. I have to fight my way past that line <laughs> to keep going. <laughs> Gavrosh is not interested in this black bread mm-hmm. that is laton brutal which is footnoted by hugo as pan noir black bread brutal meaning coarse mm. and laton argot for bread he's like some white bread my man some laton savon <laughs> which is soaped bread ah. and this makes the baker smile Oh, because he's like, it's my treat. And look at Gavroche in a kind of sympathetic way. Mm. <laughs> but Gavroche was like, hey, Baker's boy, don't think you've got the measure of us. <laughs> <laughs> Take that out of here. <laughs> yeah, gives them their three little slices. And the boys are kind of bewildered. And Gavroche is like, oh, come on, like, you've got, you've got to eat. Uh, and has to kind of coax them to do it. Mm. And he makes sure that the older one has the biggest part mm. of bread and that he himself, Gavroche, gets the smallest. Oh. <sighs> Even that they're all famished, including Gavroche. Um, yeah. So they eat their bread hungrily quite quickly. 
So as soon as like they're all huddled in the baker's shop, the baker's like, okay, I've got your money now, like get out. Mm. So back onto the street, says Gavrush. And they set off in the direction of the Bastille. Mm. And one of the little boys has a toy watch hanging from a string around his neck that he checks when they walk through little lighted windows. Gavrush is like, now there's a real adult. <laughs> <laughs> affectionate uh, uh, yeah. and it's like all the same if I had kids I'd look after them better yeah well you won't ever realise that dream so oh my God. make it last oh. as they're walking to the Bastille they pass the hostile gate of La Force prison and someone says Gavroche isn't it and immediately he's like Montparnasse isn't it yeah which I love because later, like Montparnasse is like, oh, you recognize me really quick. Because <laughs> he thinks he's in disguise. He's in um, some blue specks and a, a coat, the color of linseed poultice. Mm. And blue spectacles are what a doctor would wear. That I was like, what? This is the doctor fashion. And yeah, Gavrush is like, that's a style. That style for you, like yeah, Montparnasse, you've got it. Also, Gavroche has been smelling his perfume for the last like forty-five minutes, and it's been like, why is Montparnasse following me? <laughs> oh my god, probably. Yeah, Montparnasse is like she's so loud and like drags Gavroche aside out of the light from the shops, and the two little ones automatically follow, holding hands. Uh. And Montparnasse is like, you know where I'm going. And Gavroche was like, to Mount Weeping Abbey, which is Mount with Regret in the French, translates to, but noted by Hugo, <laughs> to basically mean to the scaffold, i.e. the guillotine. I see. And Montparnasse is like, haha, very funny. I'm going to find Babet. Gavroche was like, ah, so she's called Babet. Yeah. And Montparnasse is like, not she, he. <gasps> How dare you assume my lover's gender, Gavroche? Yeah, and Gavroche was like, ah, oh, Bebe! And he's like, yeah, Bebe. I thought he was in Clink. Mm. Is that an editor's typo? Ooh, that's sexy. <laughs> also, in, I would be interested to know if it was the Clink or if that slang that the translator did because the clink is very specifically or was very specifically the the one in England wasn't it oh I mean it probably is just uh, translators like there's there's a lot in this particular chapter of bit like I haven't drawn attention to all the bits where either Hugo himself is like this word just got used and that is some slang for such and such and such mm. or the English translator has been like I couldn't make this work <laughs> as a direct mm. translator to do what it is that Hugo's trying to do so here's what I've done to do my best mm. so it probably it, I mean it's likely yeah that. this uh, the, the online version says I thought he was buckled he has undone the buckle replied Montparnasse ah. yeah because Montparnasse is like he got out I think that I thought he was in clink needs the the mm. personally. Yeah, I I think so too because the clink is yeah it's the clink. So uh, note to the editor. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so Montparnasse tells the gamin that Babe had made his escape this morning. He took a left turn instead of taking a right down the corridor to the interrogation room and he just got out that way. <laughs> Gavroche admired the skillfulness. What a dentist, he cried. And that's not all. Montparnasse <laughs> is really bragging about Babe's escapes and escapades. Mm, boyfriends. Uh, <laughs> and while he's listening, Gavroche had grasped a cane that Montparnasse was holding and without thinking, he pulled out the upper part and a dagger's in there. <laughs> Um, and he's like, oh, you've brought along your plain clothes officer. <laughs> and Montparnasse winks and Gavroche is like, oh, so you're going to have a run in with the bashers? And Montparnasse is like, oh, yeah, you never know. Always good to have a blade on you. And Gavroche is like, oh, you know, so what are you doing tonight? Uh, what's going on? And Montparnasse becomes serious again as like things. By the way, something happened the other day. Imagine I run into this gent. He gives me a salmon as well as his purse. I put it in my pocket. A minute later, I fill my pocket. Nothing there. <laughs> Except the salmon, said Gavroche. <laughs> what about you? Uh, what are you off to now, Gavroche? And he points to the two little dependents. He's uh, like, I'm going to put these children to bed. I like how Gavroche is like, oh, yeah, imagine that happening. Can't. Anyway, uh, I've got... <laughs> I'm an adult man with responsibilities, so... So I must be going. <laughs> what a funny story you just told. <laughs> and basically ends up telling Montparnasse that he's staying inside of the elephant. Mm. And Montparnasse is not a man easily surprised, but even he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, inside the elephant... Hugo fucking loves it. Well, I'm assuming there's so much French slang, but our translator's done his best. Mm. So he's like, what about it? This is another word in the language that no one writes and everyone speaks. What about it means what about it? <laughs> oh, uh, the translator being like, oh God, this is the worst work I've ever done in my life. <laughs> so uh, assuming there's some French version of that. Mm. To tell a very long story short, which is still just, we're actually going to be doing even less of this chapter than I thought, because it's fucking long. There is a, well, do I tell it now or in the next time? He's already brought up the elephant. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's a big elephant monument in Paris that we'll get into more when they get to it. Yeah. That Gavroche is staying in. Mm. And he's like, yeah, I've made it really comfy in there. There's, n- It's not as droughty as being under a bridge. Mm. There's a hole in it. That's how we get in. Yes, Montparnasse, you're correct. There's a hole. Mm. But you mustn't tell anyone. The police haven't found it, basically. Mm. Um, you've got to climb into it. But I'm going to add a ladder for these young'uns to get in. As if Gavroche isn't a young'un. Uh, Montparnasse is like, where the fuck did you get these kids? <laughs> Yeah. And Gavrosh is like, oh, these nippers that a hairdresser gave me as a present. Yeah. And Montparnasse is like, so he recognized me really easily. <laughs> so he takes two things from his pocket that are basically two quill tips that have been wrapped in cotton. That mm. he sticks them up each nostril to give himself a different nose. Mm. And Gavroche is like, yeah, let's change the look of you. It makes you less ugly. You should keep it like that all the time. <laughs> 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 Got him. Your mum. Got him. 
Um, Montparnasse was a good-looking lad, but Gavroche was a joker. <laughs> Hugo said that. My blubber is hot. Uh, and Montparnasse was like, seriously, though? Like, how do I look? Mm. And it's changed his voice as well. And he's like, Gavroche makes a reference to someone I don't know. Mm-hmm. Paul Pulicinello? A character that the two younger kids recognise because they're both like the two kids as well. Like, oh wow, it's that guy. A classical character that originated in Commedia dell'arte in the seventeenth century. Ah, everyone, just go watch uh, Brian David Gilbert's video to know what the Commedia dell'arte is. <laughs> yeah, it's um a, a a clown dude who's wearing loads of like a, a, a white kind of thing with a black mask, and it's got a like like a hooked nose black mm-hmm. okay so it's a character that these two little kids must have been taken to the theater i guess yeah yeah because they're yeah. both like full of joy now and admiration looking at montparnasse who looking mm. like this but montparnasse suddenly becomes a bit worried lays his hand on gavroche's shoulder and emphasizing his words like listen to me lad i've something to tell you if i was standing in the square with my dough <laughs> Doge, <laughs> my dig you and my dig you, uh-huh. uh and I was to be offered fifty centimes. I wouldn't turn a blind eye to it. No, indeed, I wouldn't. Sorely tempted would I be, but a diabolical quandary I would find myself in. Mm. And basically, this is a peculiar statement that. Alerts Gavroche that there's a police officer standing behind them. Mm. So they're both like, okay, good night. Well, I'm off to my elephant with my youngins. Uh, If you ever need me at night, that's where you can come find me. I'm just above the ground floor. There's no porter. Ask for Monsieur Gavroche. (laughs) Ha ha ha. And they part ways. Yeah. And then Hugo's like, what obscure statement was uh, basically a code warn you that the police are nearby and that we can't speak freely anymore. Mm. And he explains it, Hugo does, but that English translator was like, if I directly translated the repetition of the dog you, dag you, dig you, or doge, doge, doge. That that beautiful repetition would be lost in mm-hmm. the French, so that's what he had to go with. Uh, I have slightly reworded the text with the reoccurring syllable "die" rhyming with "y." Okay, uh-huh. dog why? Dog. Okay, I I can't perform it properly, but that there's some rhyming things that warn you the police are coming, and that was enough to warn Gavroche, but. Montparnasse's sentence was actually a literary beauty that was lost on Gavroche and the rest of us um, because it's an expression of the temple district meaning my dog, my knife and my wife greatly in vogue with among clowns buffoons during the golden age when Moliere was writing and Collot was doing his drawing so Montparnasse is a very smart boy I guess or at least cultured yeah. I think he's getting yeah. at. Okay. And that is 
actually where we're gonna leave it because this is the longest chapter in the whole world. Yay! And I think that Hugo could have actually left it there. <laughs> <laughs> I really like reading this Wikipedia about Pulcinelle. <laughs> He's described as a perverted bumpkin. Um, <laughs> Does that make sense with the he now looks like this Commedia dell'arte like clownish weirdo character and he's doing a smart little sentence that was in vogue with clowns and buffoons yeah that's what yeah the 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 link in my head where i was like "Mm, yeah Uh, and also um putinella is said to be every character's savior despite acting as a rebel and delinquent in the shape of an old man Ah. Um, i feel like that's victor hugo himself (laughs) Not um, Montparnasse. I'm not, I've not got that to look out for. That he's secretly savior. <laughs> mm. In Les Mis, <laughs> and also um, uh, Portinella is where Punch came from, like in Punch and Judy. Ah. Anyway, that's all the facts about Portinella. <laughs> and now we're cultured, like Gavroche. Yeah. Well, if if only Montparnasse would explain that to Gavroche. Yeah. Actually, no. He 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 recognized the character. He just didn't recognize his little phrase. No. But neither did we. <laughs> and we're cultured. We know about Frederick the Great. <laughs> Hugo only brought him up one time, and we were ready, locked and loaded. Except we'd already <laughs> exploded all that information on everyone in the past, so we didn't even need to do it when Frederick came up this time. We know so many facts about Frederick the Great. Oh my god. We're so it makes, talented. It makes a change when usually Hugo brings someone up and we're like, who the fuck? <laughs> we're just skipping over their name, whereas we saw his name and we're like, immediately honed in, like, Frederick? <laughs> Frederick? Is that you? <laughs> So, we got through the the wilderness of uh, whatever is going on with Marius and Cosette, I guess. Oh my god, we're... that feels like it was 10,000 years ago. <laughs> Congrats to the happy couple. Condolences, <laughs> yeah. Jean Valjean. I'm glad that's the last we'll ever have to see yep. them again. That, that plot line is definitely closing the book on it. It's all <laughs> fine. And they're like they met, rabbit. they fell in love, and that was it. So there you go. And now we just have these kids to be sad about. But oh, like Gavroche is out here like with his jokes and japes, <laughs> trying to make you less sad about how fucking sad it is. Cries. Yep. Oh, Gavroche. Oh, Victor Hugo. We're going to be writing a lot of plays that we'll never make about this kid situation. Don't worry, you have that to look forward to. Like, I know me and Nemo, our brains will be on it. Yeah. They can be adopted by Friedrich the Great. <laughs> that's probably not better. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. And also, he's probably been dead for about 100 years by this point. But... <laughs> he can't adopt them. He's dead. <laughs> we'll come up with some other character to dad or granddad them don't yeah you because i think that like mabeuf or any of those they're all too old that it would just be sad really quickly yeah that's true ah! yeah and i don't want marius and cosette too <laughs> <laughs> but they're cosette's little kind of siblings by trauma yeah Not and blood. marius's kind of siblings by not blood relation. 
So really, they should be taking them in, actually. Yeah, yeah. They do have a moral duty. Yeah. If anyone. Well, I mean, their parents, but, you know, that's not going to happen. Yeah. I've not actually... I'm sure it must exist in a fic. I've, I've read ones where Azelma is adopted into the family, but not ones where these two boys are. Yeah, I, I remember when I was reading the fics a thousand years ago, mm. that there were ones where Eponine was... Like trying to look out, look after, and raise Azelma and Gavrush. Mm. But I don't recall two even younger Babs. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, back that's... in the lamest saddle, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that's um. Yeah, all, all, all this and more to look forward to next next time on Lamer's podcast, <laughs> which this has been produced by me, Nemo Martin, and Julian Yap. It is a Captain's Collections podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or quibbles, you can email us, lamerspodcast, L-E-S-M-I-S podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at lamerspodcast or on Tumblr at Bread and Barricades. You can donate to our Kofi or our Patreon. The link is in the description. Or if you like the show, then you can give us eight five stars wherever, whatever. Um, our sound designer is Jade, who you can find on her website, jdwasabi.com, or on her bandcamp, jdwasabi.bandcamp.com. And I think that's everything. So thank you for listening. There's still 12 pages of this chapter. The 12 pages of trauma. Yeah, he loves to do it to us. But... <laughs>